Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is episode 86 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back again this week. We got another great episode for you. We decided it was about time to do a market recap. There's been a lot of chit chat out there in the marketplace as far as what's going on with the market, honestly. And uh, we've had a few shows last year about this time where we were predicting something but we just didn't know what that something was. So I think this will be a very timely show. But uh, before we get into that, I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-o? Hey, good to be back on the show. We've got a uh, action-packed segment for our listeners. The Market Action Report just came out for July. Actually surprised me a little bit. We won't get into that yet. If you stick around and listen, you'll see if there's a good surprise or bad surprise. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is a surprise. There's no question. Um, you know, it's been an interesting couple of months. There's always that inevitable kind of, we'll call it a midsummer slowdown, and we'll kind of get into all that. The question just becomes when exactly that happens, and um, it definitely happened. But uh, I'll, I'm, I'm curious how it, how you felt it versus how we felt it uh, on our end, and uh, we can get into all that. But uh, before doing that, I guess we could dive in and give people a little update on kind of what's going on out there in the real estate trenches in terms of our own uh, respective businesses. And uh, for us, God, we've been busy, busy, man. We're um, we're cranking, trying to uh, get a couple of houses finished up uh, along Upper Drive. We're about a week away from one of them being done, and then about another three weeks behind that, another house that um, both will be in the eh, 1.6 million range, something like that. So... We've got a lot of work to do to get those uh, busted out. And then we've got a few, uh, we're taking on more renovation projects right now, which um, is kind of a, a sign of the times a little bit. Um, you know, one thing about new construction, unless you're Randy and you can just bang them out faster than any man on the planet, and even with him, it does. T- it's, it's challenging. He just has a large pipeline. So, you know, what you see going vertical on construction, you don't see a lot that he's fighting to get going vertical. So the, the, the process of new construction and development is a very lengthy process. And so for us, what we're doing is um, we're building out of a lot of the existing land that we have. And then we're taking on a lot more renovation projects these days because it's a lot quicker in and out. And so our market exposure is a lot less and we can kind of just 
basically get from rough product to finished product a lot quicker. And so we've decided for the next six months-ish, we're gonna take on more of those than new construction, which uh, has just kind of been kind of a business decision on my end. But with that said, we also had a big event last week. We have an annual event. I host a, a national show for some of you guys that listen. You might listen to the national show as well. And that national show is probably top three real estate investing podcasts in the world. And so we have quite a following and we had a good number of people fly in from all over the country for our third annual event for that community that listens to the show and is part of our private community. And so that was pretty crazy. We had uh, about three days worth of Basically, binge drinking and real estate education. So that's uh, it. it uh, Funny how those two things go hand. Yeah, they go hand in hand. So that was a uh, a lot to take on, to plan, to kind of um, execute. And um, to be honest with you, I'm I'm. It was a great time, but uh, it's always a nice relief to kind of get through that, get to the other side, and uh, you know, get back to business as normal. So that was our week this past week. But other than that, we're just cranking out. We've got. Um, you know, we had one deal that's probably worth talking about, and um, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of stories out there these days. Portland's a little adverse, we'll call it, to redevelopment and change, and everybody thinks that you know we're knocking down houses and putting up McMansions and things like that. But we had one project that uh, we're selling right now, which is an entry level project in Garden Home, and we actually got multiple offers on this project, and it was a um, situation where a, a couple of the offers were investment offers or for Airbnb purposes because it's in a, a pretty prime location to rent out to uh, downtown and Airbnb wise the numbers would make it would make somebody quite a bit of money above and beyond what their uh, mortgage payments would be every month if they did it and uh, we also got an owner occupied offer and uh, we did what we thought was the right thing which we took the uh, the first time home buyer owner occupied offer and so we just got through inspection period but uh, I thought it should be noted that you know there is those of us developers out there, we do have hearts. We do think a little bit when we get offers, and uh, you know, we we choose what we think is the right choice a lot of times. And for the neighbors, this happened to be the right choice as well, because there's one other neighbor on this street, and you know, I didn't want to inundate her with constant, you know, um, new people coming and going every week if it was some type of an Airbnb. So that she'll actually get some nice new neighbors, and the people that bought the house got a uh, sub four hundred thousand dollar house that's basically brand new. Um, you know, through and through, which will be a great deal for them. Um, and it's right in the garden home area. So pretty excited about that to be able to do that. It's cool when that actually comes to fruition and, and we can provide that type of affordable housing as well um, to those first time home buyers. Now, of course, we do the high end stuff on the other end. So we kind of have a big spectrum that we span. But uh, when we're able to do that, it's kind of a cool feeling. So that's pretty much uh, the Cliff Notes version of what's been going on with us over the course of uh, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, what's up? Yeah. So on the Airbnb, did you, this came up because I've got a condo. It's on, it's the Envoy building right by 23rd and the gal lives in New York. We spoke on the phone and she got us to list it. And she said she really can't afford it. She's, she's living in New York and she can't afford to have it vacant. So she's been airbnb it. And so the question came up, there's been, there's a tenant there and they're there for 30 days. The question came up like, okay, does tenancy law apply here? Like, do, do you have to give 90 days notice? How does that work? Why is there an exemption? Because, I mean, obviously they, they have some kind of tendency there. Do you Did you know anything about this? I had to do a little bit of digging around. And I still don't know that I know everything. But what I discovered was that Portland has a permit process for that where you can get an Airbnb 
short-term rental permit and I, the maximum amount of days someone can stay, I believe is 30 days. And so I, I think you, you fall into an exemption when you have that and, and tenant laws don't apply, which is, which is huge. Cause it, it, it actually spurred a, a few questions about like, well, what if this guy just says, Hey, no, I'm not moving out or, you know, I, I need to be given 90 day notice. So that was kind of interesting. I was also going to ask you on your um, new construction versus rehab. What's your mix? Would you say are you about fifty fifty now or? Yeah, we were like probably seventy five twenty five new construction versus rehab. Now I'd say with the projects that we have on the table, we're probably fifty fifty. So we kind of it's it's a variety. Our new construction is. I mean, right now it's kind of all over the place, really, but it's focused also. So we've got. Um, you know, the most of it's going on in Lake Oswego for obvious reasons. Um, we're about to kick off uh, here in October, our finally our Dunthorpe project we're going to start building. Um, we've got a big Lakeview project that we're going to kick off in Lake Oswego shortly thereafter. We have a build in Woodstock we're doing right now, which is going to be a, a great house um, once that's complete. Woodstock is an area that's just, I think that is one area southeast that's dramatically improved over the last, we'll call it three, four, five years. Um, but then we also are doing renovation projects in Southwest and uh, Milwaukee. Those are kind of the two areas where we're doing a lot of renovation projects right now. So to answer your question, we're probably 50-50. And I think that that will you know, probably be the way we go for the next, through the end of the year. Yeah. I've noticed with you, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you build new homes, you focus on higher end. But when you do rehabs, they're, they're pretty average homes. Have you, have you thought about flipping higher end homes? Yes, and we have. We've done it. Um, here's what it basically boils down to, and this is what we found out after years and hundreds of homes. <laughs> the uh, the higher-end homes, generally, in order to make them higher-end and create a spread, you have to do some additions. You have to do some major um, work to them because they're already in a, an existing nicer area. And so we've found that a lot of times those same houses are better served just getting torn down and starting fresh versus taking existing homes and renovating within the existing square footage that's there. We don't like to do add-ons anymore because it's just a giant pain in the butt to be honest with you. Like it is more work to do an add-on renovation that by like a multiple of 10 than it is to just do new construction. So, yeah. um, and generally those higher end areas, if you're going to buy and do a high end remodel, not saying we haven't done it and we wouldn't done it, but a lot of times in a hot market like this, a house that, it, I mean, it has to be in complete disrepair to get any sort of a decent price on it in order to create enough spread for us to do it. And so most of the time there are smaller houses too, comparatively to what the, the market or the top of the market would absorb. So it's just easier to knock them down and build new. And so that, that high-end rehab, although it exists, it's much more likely that that's gonna be knocked down and a new home is gonna be built in its place because it's a nicer area and the price points for top end will absorb that new construction. Gotcha, gotcha, interesting. Yeah. Cool, well let me, uh, I think if you're done, I'll jump into some of the stuff I've got going on. Do it. So. It's been a pretty crazy summer in my in my personal business. It's just we've been absolutely slammed. I've been in hiring mode for for an executive assistant in the past, gosh, two three weeks. One of my gals that works for me is going back to school. She wants to be a teacher, and so we wish her the best in that regard. So I'm I put an ad out on some on some online sites for a, a new executive assistant, and I've honestly just been in 
interview hell. <laughs> that's a, yeah, yeah, that's what what it's like. Although I will say, going from real estate selling deals, wheel and dealing to teacher is kind of like two different ends of the spectrum. Like that's yeah, like a yeah, it's like a one eighty career choice. I would say. It truly, truly is. Yep, yep, yep. So I've been looking at probably 150 resumes, meeting with dozens of people, and and boy, it's just. Have you have you been through that process recently, yeah, Tucker? I I did. Okay, so here's the last one. I we were hiring a. Um, We'll call them a social media manager, which basically they were going to do a lot of social media brand management for us, not just on the um, sticks and bricks side, but on the other side of our business too, which is our education company and our technology side. And I hired a kid and I thought he was the right hire because he worked for Nike. And I thought, well, he worked, Nike hired him. They got, they had to put him through the ringer, right? And no, you know, Nike's pretty tough to get hired with. And I fired him about three days in. <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't gone back to the interview process since to find one. We've just absorbed the job internally because I got sick of the interview process, honestly. If you had to give the top one reason why you fired him quickly, what was it? He had millennialitis, <laughs> if that's a disease. <laughs> I know. He was allergic to working. Yeah, yeah, I think that was pretty much what it came down to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been interesting. I mean, just, the, just so much, I put so so much weight on just the emails, the cover letters, and the resume, like grammar and the wording of it. And the other thing that I really look for is in this position, because there's such a steep learning curve for, for an executive assistant. This is the person that will sit in my office, be on my emails with in front of me, and sifting through them and, and helping you know organize them and get the ones brought to my attention that need to be brought to my attention answering my phones that are forwarded to them. So there's a lot of moving parts and I've identified as just longevity is the most important part. I mean, I think anyone after about six months to a year, not anyone, but any, anyone average or better, and, and I'm obviously shooting for the moon, but you know, the realization is anyone average or better can get the job down after about six months to a year. But the last thing you want to do is hire somebody and then a year later they're, they're moving on and now you're starting from scratch again and going through that steep learning curve. So I've been looking for longevity. It's crazy to me how many people are at a job for a year or two. I mean, I just immediately dismiss those ones. Absolutely looking for longevity in that process and have had some interesting interviews, but I've made a job offer. And finally, after having back-to-back-to-back interviews and being in interview hell, I finally found the right person, made a job offer. It's been accepted. So hopefully that is all behind us. Moving on from there, it's been kind of an interesting summer. It's, uh, I know we're going to get into this in the market action talk, but it's just been a summer of price reductions. And there's a lot of price reductions happening everywhere. A big part of being a productive agent right now is just having those conversations with your sellers and, you know, being able to induce them to basically lower their price and and come to reality. As we all know, every seller always wants more than their house is worth. And one thing that has really helped me, and we're going to get into this as well when we talk about the market action, is just some of the media that's been out there. I've actually personally bookmarked on my computer about four different articles about the market and how it's cooling off, slowing down. One of them is local, the Oregonian, talking about the Portland market, and three of them are national. And I find it helpful. I, I, I'll oftentimes, when, when we're talking pricing with sellers and they're asking about the market, rather than me tell them, I'll pull them up on my computer and show them. Oftentimes when we're talking about price reductions, I'll reference them and then I'll send a little template email that I've created that says, per our conversation, here's a few links about the market and how it's been changing. 
I find that it's nice to give them that neutral, third-party, reliable source. One of the articles actually is titled, Sellers Aren't Able to Throw an Anything Goes Price Out There, and it talks about that. So that's been pretty helpful in that regards. Do you take those to your listing appointments, just out of care, or do you send them ahead of time? Because I would imagine that probably helps. Well, I have my computer with me, and I'm showing them comps at the listing appointment, and oftentimes they'll ask. They'll say, so what's the market doing, or um, you know, what are you seeing out there? And that's when I'll just – I have them bookmarked. I'll just pull them up. Now, other times on current listings or existing listings, we're having a conversation about price reductions. I'll reference those articles, let them know that I'll be sending them an email with them as links and then I've, I've just saved a template email that I just fire off just a few sentences saying great talking to you per conversation here's a few articles that are you know referencing some of the changes we're seeing in the market I find that I get a good result when I instead of just me saying hey here's what I'm seeing I'm giving them reliable information from a third party that they can see that has no agenda per se as you know I'm as curious they- just out of personal curiosity here so like you and i have been through a few market cycles and when the things are good right you know every realtor looks like a genius every everybody that owns a home looks like you know like it's the greatest home ever because stuff sells right and so once we get into like you said it's the summer of price reduction that should be like a song or something right it's the summer (laughs) of price reductions but anyway when you have these conversations with the sellers at this point, I mean, obviously you've got some news articles and just data to kind of support the conversation all around, but are you finding that the majority are just understanding that the, the markets are kind of, they're fluid and they transition, or are they looking to blame, like, it's got to be the lack of open houses or this or that, and the reason why I'm not getting that price? What do you think the percentage is of, like, people just being normal human beings versus like there's got to be an external reason that you're doing something wrong that uh, it's not getting the ridiculous price that I want. Great question. Great question. I will say that the average seller wants to blame the agent. Now that's, and let me be clear here. They want to blame the agent, meaning it's an easier target. It's much more difficult from a psychology standpoint, in humans in general, it's much more difficult to blame yourself for your house, right? You don't want to say, it's my house, nobody wants my house, or it's my price, nobody wants my price, or, and I would even say the market, per se. But here's the caveat. So our job as agents is to, is to be proactive in ensuring there's nothing that's glaringly there easy to blame. Because if you give it to them, they will latch onto it. If there are cracks in your process, if there's cracks in your marketing, if there's delays in your communication, if there's delays in getting feedback to them, if there's not proactive communication saying, hey, here is what we are doing on a regular basis. And that does not always have to be a phone call or seeing them in person. It can be automated communication that you're doing saying, you know, here, here's what we did this week. Here's the marketing we did. Here's the view counts. If you're not doing that stuff, yeah, they're going to quickly assume it's you. So you kind of have to do everything right. And like you said, Tucker, I mean, that is different than a really hot market where things just vaporize, you know, immediately, regardless of what's being done. Everybody looks like a rock star there. 
in a more challenging market, those who have a really, really dialed in system that is really proactive in that approach, they'll have an easier time because they do have those systems in place. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does for sure. I, you know, the reason why I ask is because we literally this, we've got a house pending right now. I mean, it's been the first, no, not the first price reduction we've done in years, but one of very few, we'll call it, right? And um, so we reduced price and uh, ultimately once we reduced it, we went pending right away and we got a lot of offers right away. So we kind of found that proverbial line in the sand value wise. And, you know, the, the market all is always right, you know, like regardless of what kind of marketing people do or don't do or wh- who your agent is. I mean, eventually the market is what makes the decision. Now, there's some things you can do to kind of help your exposure and get it in front of the right people so that, you know, you're giving yourself your best chance possible. But I'm just one of those people, I've sold so many houses, like I could bitch and moan and complain about the fact that, uh, you know, Chris isn't doing enough of this or that. But at the end of the day, the market is what the market is at any given point in time when we're trying to sell. And so I I realize that, you know, which makes me a pretty easy client for Chris, who's our internal agent who sells our stuff. But I know a lot of other people they get very emotional about money that's yet to be realized, you know? Yeah. With sellers, perception is reality. And so much of what we do as agents is about perception. And I'm specifically speaking about the sellers. Now, that said, it's got to be real. It can't be sugar pills. You can't be just feeding sugar pills to your seller because people aren't stupid. In other words, you can't be saying, hey, I'm doing X, Y, Z to sell your house. Look at it and it'd be, it'd be fluff. Like an example would be, you know, putting it in some kind of print marketing that is a dinosaur. You know, oh, look, I'm, I often say that, you know, people will sometimes tell me, I haven't had this conversation too recently, but in the, I have in the past where they're like, oh, I, I take an Oregonian ad out for my, for my listings. And I say, why do you do that? And they say, because it, my sellers like it. And I say, okay, well, that's a sugar pill. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, beca- that's, that's... Because <laughs> do you really think you're going to sell it that way? And they, they always say, no, but my sellers like it. So that's an example of a sugar pill. Doing something that you know doesn't work or has a low, low probability of working, but doing it simply for the sake of the seller. That said, there there is things that you do. I mean – when I say perception is reality, a part of it is do activities that are proven to work, but make sure the seller knows about them. Make sure the seller knows about them. You can't do them in a vacuum. If you're doing activities that the seller knows work or you know work, be proactive in, in showing the seller in a, in a tasteful way, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And you, and you got to be very regular in that communication. So. That's a huge part of it, but let me move on. So I'm dealing with a property up on the hill by OHSU, and I've actually been pinging you a bunch on this, and I I apologize in advance, and I guess it's not in advance. I apologize in arrears. You've been great, Tucker, and you're always a great resource. (laughs) Any other agent out there that has any types of questions about rehabs or zoning or new construction, they would behoove themselves to reach out to you and, and pick your brain, and obviously, you're very giving and helpful in that regards and very knowledgeable, but... I have a house up there. It's right by the hospital. It actually has a gorgeous view of downtown. And you can see the hospital a little bit out of the uh, out of the right side of the property. It's a beautiful house. It's We comped it about $1.2 million to $1.3 million. Nice finishes, just amazing lot and location. 
seller though is questioning because he's received a, a letter in the mail and he actually did reach back out to the city tucker and, and he got a copy of the letter he's questioning um whether the highest and best use is going to be as a developable piece of land meaning tear down the house and actually the neighbor's house is for sale so he was questioning whether it was going to make sense to, for a developer to buy both tear them down because the zoning has now changed and I won't get too much into the specifics, but I have learned in the last 24 hours, it went from R1, it's going to um, a new zoning name that I guess the city of Portland is changing a lot of the zoning out there. They're trying to create m more housing. What I'm understanding, and you, you probably know this better than me, Tucker, that all the zoning out there is, is becoming a little bit more denser. They're tweaking it so that regardless of what areas are zoned, and for the most part, you can build a little bit more or a little bit closer together. Are you, I mean, is that what you see in here? Yeah, or so basically the, the plan is, you know, we have urban growth boundary, right? And so Metro Council meets, I think it's every seven years, and they basically decide whether or not you can push the, the limits of where our urban growth boundary is, which basically enables builders, developers to create more housing units. Well inside of the urban growth boundary, which doesn't often get pushed, uh, we have a lot of land. And so that land, some of which, as you get closer into the uh, city urban core, it, it could be rezoned to a higher density use, right? And so that's what they're executing on is a lot of these higher density uh, use plans for um, dirt that's closer into the city core. And so it's a great it's a good idea because we have a lot more demand for housing and ultimately at the end of the day what it's doing is as you're able to create more housing units it puts downward pressure on pricing right when everybody wants to scream about affordability so the more units you can put to market the less each of those units would cost whether it ends up being a rental or a home for sale or an attached house for sale whatever it is there's more housing units so the whole idea is yes they create more units within the urban growth boundary the problem is is that there's a lot of uh, quote-unquote NIMBYs in Portland. I think we have probably the highest uh, no, number per capita in the world. Uh, but uh, that aside, you get a lot of people that are like, I don't want that because I like things the way they are. But ultimately what the city's trying to do is just uh, create more housing units within the city's urban core or close to it. And they do that via rezoning, kind of like the property that you, you ping me about. Yeah. And so what we've kind of identified with this is previously, if you bulldoze his house, you could have put up an apartment building or condo development that would have about 13 units. In fact, I think that was the max because it was R1, so one unit per thousand square feet. His lot's about 13,000 square feet. With the new zoning change, which he's now, we've now identified happens somewhere between March of next year and June of next year, there is not a limitation per se to how many units. There are some guidelines. It can't be taller than four stories. And basically what we're kind of figuring is maybe it could be 20, 25, 30 units. So he's wondering if, if, if that tips him to a point where it makes more sense to sell it to a developer. Now, I strongly question that. I think the highest and best use is going to be as a single family residence, largely because of parking. I, there really isn't the, the, yeah, in that case, he'd have to do subterranean parking, which is extremely expensive, and somebody would already be in at about $50,000 a door before any permits and construction, if they could do 24, 25 units. So you're kind of on the, the fence there. Generally, these redevelopment plays 
don't happen where you have a million dollar home in its place. I know right? exactly. You know, I mean, so you're kind of straddling the fence of it's probably best, even though zoning change says the city wants more units there pricing wise. And the fact that your client kept their house up and it's got a great view and it's a nice house dictates that, well, maybe the market would rather it be sold as a single family home that's close proximity to things and has a good view, right? So that's the, that's the juggling act. Yeah, and, I, and I'm pretty convinced that's going to be how it all shakes out. The, the challenge for me or the problem for me is I just have to go through that process with him because mm -hmm. he wants to fully exhaust his options. Because if, if that zoning change, which again happens next March to June, if it does tip him to where it becomes more viable and more expensive and more lucrative to be a development project, then of course, of course he would want to wait till March or June of next year to, to, to list it. So that's kind of the process I've been going through and I've been reaching out to you and been working on it a little bit and I'm, I'm been working with him. So it's been kind of interesting, but anyways, that's a little bit about what I have going on, Tucker. Why don't we go into the market action report? Yeah, let's do it. So I mentioned at the onset of this podcast that I was surprised and I was actually pleasantly surprised. I was anticipating a little bit more doom and gloom in, the, in these numbers and what I realized was really compared to last year we're not that much off in our unit numbers meaning last year we had at this point in the year we had 27 or 2793 closed sales this year we've got 2736 so we're only down two percent in units closed year over year I, I would have guessed that was more just the way things feel to me the same was true of pendings. This year, we were off by about 1% from last year in pending sales year to date compared to last year. The sales price increases is down substantially. We're seeing year over year appreciation at 6% or 5.8, you know, depending on whether you look at the median or um, the average which has been steadily declining. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Tucker, you and I were talking about numbers double, you know, 11, 12% year over year appreciation. And it's been, it's been steadily dropping just about every one of these market action reports. That's kind of what the numbers say. Now, what else is going on out there is there's a lot of media coverage about a cooling. I, I referenced earlier in the podcast some of my articles that I've been bookmarking in my computer so that I have them available to help me when I'm talking to my sellers. I'm looking at one right here that was from the Oregonian, July 20th. Portland's, here's, the, here's the headline. Portland's housing market is cooling off. Here's one from yesterday on CNBC, Diana Olick. She, uh, she, she does a regular real, real estate blog. Housing tipping back to a buyer's market as sellers cut prices. She went into some stats. This was just from yesterday. Home price growth is slowly is slowing in nearly half of the 35 largest U.S. metropolitan markets. Approximately 14% of all listings in June had undergone price cuts. That's up substantially from 2016. There was another article. This one was... Let's see, this one was uh, MSN, housing market raising large red flag for the economy. So there is, this is different than last year. Do you remember last year? I mean, we talked about it last year and we said, you know, this market's due for a cool off. We, feel, we felt that normal lull of summer that you, that you feel when summer begins and, and when it ends 
where kids are getting out of school and there's a lot of vacations and then kids are going back to school and there's the the distraction and the you know the the change up in in, in that process that kind of slows things down last year we felt like we had a, a slowdown in between there and we we talked about it on this podcast but what we didn't have was this press we didn't have media talking about it like we do this summer so that is very different and it also will be interesting to see if the media press plays a role in a cooling because because if if the 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 consumers out there are reading this will they you know pump the brakes so to speak because of you know concerns that the market's cooling down i will say that we're still selling houses they are moving and it's not all doom and gloom i also anticipate that we're going to have a decent little run in in september october as we head into the winter i we saw that last year where we had a really quiet summer and we were all kind of freaking out a little bit and then all of a sudden things just started moving in september october and you know early part of november but i i think we all agree that we're way past the 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 boom of this this cycle and things are much much more balanced in the market buyers are taking their time looking at homes they don't feel the pressure that there's five buyers behind them that are going to swoop it up if they don't quickly make an offer i'm seeing buyers threaten to make offers we, we're seeing a lot of this on our listings where agent will reach out to us and say we're getting ready to write an offer and then they don't they change their mind and they move on i'm even seeing where they do write the offer we send a counter and they don't even respond they go nope doesn't work for us wow um, yeah that that in itself also, is a sign of the times yeah and here's the other thing tucker we are seeing as a company a lot more terminations do you remember in january february of this year where i did a, we did a podcast and i was like oh my god it's been the worst month of my my life from a termination <laughs> yes standpoint. I, I, i'd had like seven in in one month oh yeah it wasn't I, that was kind of an early warning sign of what has happened since. And um, as a company, we actually dug into our numbers um, through our transactions. And we, we have identified that there are far more terminations occurring out there than in the past. And again, that goes back to the, to the notion that it is shifting more towards the buyers and possibly the sellers aren't quite realizing that just yet is part of it because obviously if they if sellers knew they might be more inclined to, to to be flexible and and bend towards the buyer more but also the buyers are just they're just bailing they don't feel the pressure you know 3 years ago if a buyer you know made an offer on a house they were probably competing against several other people once they got the house you better believe they're 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 going to hang on to that house because if they terminate those four other people that lost out are going to um, swoop in and, and, and be excited and take it from them. There just isn't that pressure out there. So now buyers are, the term I would use is they're just kicking the tires more. They're taking their time, they're changing their minds, and and sometimes the, the changing of the minds is when you're in contract in the form of a termination. What yeah. are you seeing, Tucker? I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, last year we had a long couple conversations about I firmly thought that that we had reached the inflection point in the market and 
I was wrong <laughs> by about a year, <laughs> we'll call it. Uh, but we knew it was coming. It just was, we were pretty convinced that last year was basically going to be that year. And I think now we have found it. Um, and this, I think this truly is the inflection point in the market. And that meaning that, you know, pricing has gotten to a point now where buyers are starting to push back, we'll call it, right? And so that pushback has basically, you know, you felt it in the way of terminations, of not responding to counters, to kicking tires, um, whatever it is. And, and we knew it was coming. And, um, you know, fortunately for us, you know, our play, and it has been for the last 12 months, is whatever we put to market, we want it to be drastically better product than what was out or what is out there comparatively or it's a value play it's just a value for the square footage um and so that's how we're kind of now going to be counteracting this moving forward but yeah i agree it's you know we've we've reached that softening and um it just kind of uh you know it is what it is but we're also at that time of year so you know we might see an acceleration again here next month when we do a show and we'd be like, well, it picked up again, and you know, who knows to what extent it picks up? I don't know, but you know, it, it we hit the skids pretty hard last year too, if you remember. So I do remember. I do remember. I was, I was, you know, I was pretty convinced of it too, Tucker. Yeah. But that's the way. That's the way these things go. You know, the uh, it's a misconception to say that there's anybody out there that knows how when exactly a market's going to turn or when exact what exactly is going to happen. And, and the reason for that is that there's so many unknown variables that, that no one can control or no one can predict. You know, everything from geopolitical stuff to weather stuff. Um, so what we did know and what we were, where we were 100% right is it, it, the time has to come. The time has to come. Um, what will it look like? Will it be a dramatic? So far, I'm not seeing dramatic because we're still selling houses. It's not, the market's not cratering. And, and there have been some benefits in this process. I think bisbos are going to quickly dry up. I just don't see sellers thinking they can sell their homes themselves when we pros who are doing everything right are, are having to, you know, cut prices and, and, and get aggressive ourselves. And, and we're sitting as the well. O- the only caveat to that is if the house is a complete piece of crap and they call TTM. Then in that case, they can sell it pretty easy. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're going to see a lot less of these discount brokerages and discount agents out there because they don't have – we talked about it earlier in the show. Perception is so important. The seller's perception of what you're doing for them is important. And when, when you blatantly are saying, I do, very, I do very little or nothing, then the sellers are going to realize they have to do else you know go in a different route so there will be some tremendous benefits to this so long as it's not a massive cratering type correction which i don't anticipate it will be i think they'll the i think the uh the solid agents with great marketing great systems great you know great experience for their clients i think they'll benefit as much as they they suffer but it will be it will be different for sure yeah i mean i at the end of the day This is not doom and gloom by any means. I think that worst case situation is we have a 5% price adjustment based off of, we'll call them expectations versus reality, which doesn't mean there's a 5% reduction in overall value in home prices, but 
5% reduction in, in overly zealous seller expectations versus what homes actually will sell for. And I think it's just getting sellers' expectations in line with what the market really wants to pay. And, and I think we're in that period right now where it's kind of adjusting to that. Yep, I agree. I agree. You know, the one, one last little thing in the market report, this, this wasn't a surprise. So this is probably more in line with what I was expecting. Um, inventory is in July of 2018 is at 2.4 months. If you look back through the, the report, that's the highest it's been since January of 16. Yeah, and um, I'll and I'll say I bet, and that's a lagging number. I would bet we're closer to three right now, just based on what I'm seeing out there when I kind of look at everything, and certain neighborhoods more than others. But inventory definitely has creeped up. It's still, you know, historically that's a ridiculously low number, but from what we're used to, it seems like a high number. So I guess it's all relative, right? Yeah. 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 So, but we'll, we'll see, we'll, uh, we'll jump on the mic here again next month and we'll do another show and we'll see if, uh, you know, we basically are regurgitating the same information that we said last year, which is, holy smokes, the markets is, market has hit the skids. Is this the inflection point or are we just basically in the dog days of summer and, um, you know, we're in our typical slowdown, but it might just be a little bit more of a slowdown based on where pricing is at and has been. So... We'll see, right? It, uh, I wish yeah. I had a crystal ball. If I did, well, we'd probably be somewhere else sipping pina coladas and not doing a whole lot. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but we don't, right. so we wake up and go to work every day. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I will, uh, I will reiterate. The, the difference this year from last year is the media coverage on it. That was not happening. You, you and I were in the forefront saying, you know, the, the end has to come soon, and this could be it, or, you know, this could be the beginning of it. The media was not saying that, and that... Is different this time so we'll see absolutely we'll see cool so, well hopefully uh you guys enjoyed that out there in listener land we'll be back again probably pretty shortly we've got some cool guests lined up for you and uh of course we'll keep uh you know our, our finger on the pulse of the market so that we can tell you guys what we're experiencing out there in the real estate trenches but steve any any parting words of wisdom advice or otherwise yes send your sellers links to these articles online and watch them help you get what you need which is a price reduction <laughs> cool, the, cool theme of the show there right. it is the title is the summer of price reductions all right guys we'll see you all in the next one thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the portland real estate podcast